Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. There have been dozens, nay, hundreds of translations of Luke's gospel and therefore of the Song of Mary. Depending on your tradition, you might refer to those verses that the band led us in reading responsively as the Magnificat, which is itself a Latin translation from the Greek meaning more or less, it magnifies. Mary's subject, the noun that puts the verb magnify or glorify or enlarge to work, is the Greek word suke, from which we get words like psyche and psychology. Elsewhere in the Bible, this word is translated as breath, but here it is most often rendered as soul. It's not simply Mary's breath that gives glory to God, it is her soul, the full force of her life. I've been wondering this week, therefore, about the relationship between breath and the soul, between a sort of automatic physiological function and some ineffable and eternal nature of living beings. For while some of us might be devotees of yoga or other practices that draw our attention to breath, we can also go for long stretches of time without ever being aware of the work our respiratory systems are doing. I think this is part of what has made the COVID-19 pandemic so challenging and terrifying. The very act necessary for life to breathe in and out can also cause the transmission of disease and death. Now, while we have eased our mask mandates and resumed somewhat normal social interactions, I think many of us maintain a healthy fear of getting too close to the breath of others. 
And yet that closeness to breath and awareness of our own breath and the breathing of others also seems to be the work of the soul. When we preachers like to get fancy in our conversations about the Holy Spirit, we'll throw around a Greek word, pneumatology. Pneuma, like suke, is translated as both breath and spirit, which makes me think of the poetry in Genesis 2-7 where God takes a handful of dirt and breathes into it to make Adam, the Hebrew word for human. The soul, then, is perhaps best understood as a curious mix of earth and breath. But what makes the soul more than breath, or breath less than the soul? Mary Oliver's poem, Some Questions You Might Ask, pursues this line of inquiry into the nature of the soul. Is it solid like iron, she asks? Or is it tender and breakable like the wings of a moth in the beak of an owl? Who has it and who doesn't? Why should I have it and not the anteater who loves her children? Why should I have it and not the camel? Come to think of it, what about maple trees? What about the blue iris? What about all the little stones sitting alone in the moonlight? These are all interesting questions, and I could keep pondering them, and yet they are keeping me from posing the question that I really want to ask, which is this. What does your soul magnify or glorify or enlarge? And what does it mean for Mary to assert that her soul magnifies the Lord? To me, one of the most remarkable things about Mary's song is that it comes immediately after receiving information that for most individuals would be unsettling, if not overwhelming. It's pretty wild to imagine being told that your body will serve as the womb for the living God and maintaining your chill. Not only does Mary remain composed, she composes a song about the justice, mercy, and goodness of God throughout time. If Mary, under such stressful circumstances, can express herself so beautifully and faithfully, perhaps our souls, under duress, can make space for God's glory. At the moment of her singing, Mary has no knowledge of the person we will come to call Jesus. And yet she is familiar with the songs of Isaiah, the laws of Moses, and the stories and poetry that for centuries sustained her ancestors in times of difficulty, confusion, doubt, and waiting. And it is into this tradition that the living God comes and creates the church. From the prophets of Israel and the psalmists of Jerusalem and the surrounding hill country, Jesus Christ develops a language of the soul, a way of making clear that breath and earth are filled with God's holy and majestic presence. And when we engage in the work of the soul, sharing breath and earth in communion, we become the body of Christ. Mary 
as she waits for a child to be born, envisions reversals of fortune that for some of us, depending on our social and economic circumstances, may or may not be greeted as good news. Lifting up the lowly and casting down the mighty is a sort of proclamation that can stir class anxiety and cause those in positions of power to wield their authority with greater force. Mary understands the risks of such leveling out of resources. She knows that many people get uncomfortable when words like reparations come up in conversation, which is why she concludes her song by saying, you have remembered your promise of mercy. I don't know about you, but I often need to be reminded of my promises. Sometimes I get so busy moving from one place to another, I forget about the promises I have made. Perhaps even God needs to be reminded of God's promises. Maybe it's the songs of Mary and Micah, of everyone needing a little help, praying for a change of circumstances, some more money, a new place to live, improved communications with a loved one. All these singers and songs jog God's memory and remind God that mercy is always needed and always right on time. As we continue to move through this season of Advent, this time of preparation, it can be easier some days than others to take time for our souls, to become aware of the breath of God moving through us, some days we might feel like God has forgotten promises of mercy. What a powerful example Mary offers us in our unknowing, in our uncertainties, awe awaits us. There are songs left to sing of the great things God has done and the great things we are still waiting for. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.